People are chanting that they are the soldiers of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, the founder of the Turkish Republic. Indeed, it is a reaction against Islamist policies. Restrictions on private life have become unbearable. Since its foundation, Turkey has experienced too many atrocities, including a few military juntas, uprising, and many scandals. Today, the conflict between Republicans and Islamists reached the highest point as Turkey is on the age of the change after 20 years of authoritarian government. I am Hasan Erdem Özacar. In this radio documentary, I and interviewees will go through the historical moments of Turkey and show that how Turkey deviated from the secular path into very Islamic one. Once a model for the Islamic world, now being reduced to a meeting point for former radical militants. Not long ago, Turkey used to be a secular republic based on progressive principles thanks to the efforts of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. He was a simply Jacobin-like reformer who made fundamental reforms for the country. He replaced with the Arabic script with Latin and the Islamic calendar with the Western calendar. Mosques were brought under the state control with the establishment of the religious affairs. Religion was declared a private matter between God and believers. Turkey has been a center for Islam for centuries. But after the foundation of the Republic, Mustafa Kemal followers, the Kemalists, waged a war against reactionary movements. In the Turkish public sphere, places like universities, public institutions all had secular appearance and practicing religion was forbidden. It has dramatically changed during the AKP era, Justice and Development Party. Yet, Kurdish and Turkish people are still profoundly religious. In 2002, the AKP came to power, ruling the country until today. They represented a radical break with Turkey's past. To understand how Turkey has deeply changed, we need to go back in Turkish history. Barış Pehlivan, a well-known journalist, he was put into jail for exposing the Turkish state's secret cross-border operations in Libya. He was recently cleared of blame, being released from prison. He still writes for Republic, a bastion newspaper for Turkish leftists and Republicans. In a conversation with Barış, he dives into the origins of the ongoing conflict between seculars and Islamists. After the foundation of the Turkish Republic in 1923, under the leadership of Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, secularism was introduced to Turkey. Atatürk so cared about secularism that he made too many efforts to propagate it to society. These efforts, this struggle for secular values, for sure, pushed political Islam back until the 1950s. With the Greenbelt project, Islamist movements in the Middle East, including Turkey, were openly supported by the United States for the sake of anti-communism. The manifestation of this in Turkey was the Turkish Islamic synthesis. This synthesis began to be implemented after 1980. Kenan Evren, the chief of staff, declaring that the military took control of the state. In 1980, the military staged a coup again that changed Turkey's dynamics forever. What made it so peculiar was that 
For the first time in the history of Turkish public, Islam was made public and visible at the hands of the states. On talk shows and a political debate programs, participants began to talk about the mistakes of the Republican state officers, and their approach to Islam was harshly criticized. After the coup d'etat, democratic and leftist movements were immediately pushed out of the politics. Indeed, the rise of political Islam occurred during the Cold War. During that period, Islamists and nationalists formed an alliance. They were walking on the same path, cooperating with each other. They tried to be united under the anti-communist banner imposed by the USA. What they did was that they established the struggle against communism associations. One of the founders of these associations was Fethullah Gülen, who was behind the coup d'etat of 2016. He was the founder of Erzurum branch. And when we look at political Islam in Turkey until the 1970s, we see that they are pragmatists. They tend to come together under right-wing parties. They know how to abide by the existing power. During military juntas, cooperating with coup plotters, embracing their values, I think they embrace these acts as tactics. Under the banner of anti-communism and during the junta period, political Islam is purposefully promoted and strengthened. Let me give you an example. We know them as the masterminds of the coup d'etat of 2016. When we think of the Gulen movement, which indeed invaded the Turkish Republic by penetrating into the state structures and institutions. When we look at the Gulen movement's past, the military junta in the 12th of December 1980, it damaged literally every political current. The Gulen movement got along with the military junta. He supported it. He sent letters to Kenan Evren, the leader of the junta. The USA and CIA have a project called Moderate Islam for Turkey. Accordingly, there was need for pushing leftist and progressive powers back, and a government that can be easily controlled. And this came into existence after military juntas. We always see that Islamists benefited from juntas, strengthening their power. the first elected prime minister after the junta. Turgut Özal adapted the Turkish Islamic synthesis to the neoliberal capitalist order in his democratic ruling system. Özal went on pilgrimage to Mecca. It might sound like a simply daily practice, but for a country that had been founded and led by highly secular cadres, this event is still regarded as the first step into the Islamization of the country. Dr. Yunus Emre spoke to me He's a lecturer in political science at Culture University in Turkey. He explains the intertwinement of the education system and Turkish politics. There were two types of education, educational institutions in Turkey. Okay, On the one side, there were state-sponsored uh, secular educational institutions on the one side. And on the other, on the other, there were, you know, many uh religious educational institutions and and many of them were also unofficial institutions okay so the republican turkey as i said uh gave an end to this two different ways of education in turkey so it unified the educational system for this reason the name of uh ministry of education in turkey has become national education ministry okay so this phrase at the beginning national is about this unification process okay we as a nation have only one educational system 
This was governed by the educational ministry. So uh, religious institutions uh, should not have any control or role on the educational system, according to this perspective. Okay, so uh, AKP and Erdogan, I may say this, gave an end to this perspective. Okay, so uh, you see, uh, it's a, it's a, 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 a bit different with traditional uh, Republican uh, policies uh, on, on education. The first dress code revolution in the world took place in Turkey in 1925. The Turkish parliament passed a law that made it mandatory to wear Western-style clothes in public. Under Kemalism, women wearing turbans and men going to mosques were marginalized, even demonized. As a result of this oppression, public outrage towards these policies was taking shape. Uh, after the military intervention of 1980, uh, we saw state-sponsored rise of political Islam in Turkey. So at that time, at that time, uh, education in Turkey uh, was put in a uh, program of change. And during this change, we saw the rise of uh, Imam Hatip schools and also rising influence of Islamist sects in the public life. A new military intervention in 1997, uh, a new program of, how can I call it, maybe secularization or a reaction to, to Islamism put in force. The number of uh, students in Imam Hatip uh, schools diminished because the students of uh, this kind of schools had a disadvantage. After AKP's coming to power in 2002, after a few years passed, they abolished this disadvantage uh, for these schools. And in addition, we saw many, uh, you know, public figures who are, you know, close friends of Erdogan's family, okay? Uh, they took important uh, public roles and, and in state administration, they had some critical roles. Uh, most precisely, they are graduated from Kartal Immunitive School. So uh, this was the evolution. Hmm? evolution of, of uh, this type of schools in Turkish life, political and social life. Erdogan, the current president of Turkey and the ruling the country for 20 years, always refers to his humbleness. He and his party, AKP, have always benefited from himself as a voice of the oppressed and the voiceless. Raised in a poor district in Istanbul, his childhood story inspires his voters. 
a poor Muslim became the leader of the Muslim world. He is frequently called even Sultan or Caliphate in New Turkey. On the other hand, he is criticized for his populist and authoritarian tendencies by secular Turks. Yet, closely observed, his political ideology is very pragmatist and polarizes the country into mainly two camps. On behalf of Erdogan, political Islam needed much broader support to came to power and maintain it. To do so, any political movement in Turkey also needs approval from Europe and NATO, so he had to be a shapeshifter. I'm emphasizing that with the support of the USA, he was glamorized. After the 2001 economic crisis, Erdogan was chosen as a leader who would put an end to the economic crisis. It was a huge campaign for him to finish all corruption and poverty. Therefore, through that campaign, Erdogan hid his real face. He took lessons from National Salvation Party and Welfare Party's mistakes. He also somehow tricked those who would not support him. And with the support of the USA, he was elected in the 3rd of November 2002. After the elections, basically the Gulen movement, which were well organized within the state structure, said that, okay, you came to power, but you have no idea about running the country. We are well organized and more experienced than any movement. Let us form an alliance. Then we can make the AKP grow. So Erdogan basically surrendered to Fethullah, let them take control of the state. To understand how Erdogan's party came to power and stayed in for almost a quarter century, I talked with Burhan Şenataler. He gives lectures on Turkey's social and economic developments at Bilgi University. The economic policy was not very solid, was not very strong, and so Turkey had negative growth rates in 1991, in 1995, and then in 1999. So in a period of 10 years, if you have three years with negative growth, that means the economy is not working, functioning in a very positive way. And towards the end of the 1990s, a new coalition was in power consisting of three parties. This time, Bülent Ecevit's Democratic Left Party and the very right-wing uh, National Action Party, which is the semi-fascist party in Turkey, and the ANAP, which was the party founded by Turgut Özal, but had lost its popularity in the 1990s. So the tripartite cooperation was not that successful and that could not lead to a positive functioning economy either. So there was another negative growth in 2001 and in 2001 there was a big economic crisis. So that meant that the three, three parties that had been in power became very very weak and that was the time when AKP was founded by Tayyip Erdogan and another group of people who had been in the welfare party in the past, which is the religious conservative party. Çanakkale, <laughs> 
To understand political Islam, we can start with Erdogan's childhood. He was born in Kasımpaşa, a working-class neighborhood in Istanbul. Erdogan went to Imam Hatip, a religious-oriented school. We still do not know whether he went to university or not. This question still occupies people's minds. Since he was a student in Imam Hatip, he studied Quran and Islamic figures becoming a staunch Islamist. During his first years in politics, Erdogan joined the youth wing of Necbettin Erbakan's National Salvation Party, a predecessor of the AKP. Erbakan's party line was based on the anti-Westernism, Islamist nationalism and anti-Semitism. Also, it was deeply sympathetic to the Palestinian struggle. This party was banned for undermining the secular values. After being banned, the former cadres of the National Salvation Party came together under the name of the Welfare Party. Erdogan's earlier political affiliations and works helped him to become prominent. He also became well-known for his communication and organizing skills. In 1994, he was elected mayor of Istanbul from the Welfare Party. The Welfare Party was closed down for undermining the secular values of the Turkish public. Indeed, he always positioned himself as Islamist, except for some specific periods in which he hid his ideological tendencies. As a mayor, he once said that democracy can't be an objective, but an openly instrument. Democracy is like a tram. You ride it until you arrive at your destination, then you step off. The Gezi protest broke out over the construction project planned to be built on the site of Gezi Park in Istanbul. Most of those projects were centered around crony firms, creating new elites from neoliberal policies. The first 10 years were the heydays of the AKP due to the economic boom, increasing in living standards, low interest rates, and a low rate of foreign currencies. However, the country went into an economic recession. Besides that, there was too much anger towards restrictions on alcohol, dress code, and a very reactionary speech on abortion and lifestyle made by leading AKP figures. When AKP thinks of the Gezi resistance, this comes to mind uh, as a trauma. The Gezi Park resistance became an important movement beyond the current political climate and outside the political parties. Gezi was exactly a demand for freedom. And the power behind it was all the young people who met these demands. Today, uh, I believe that the Gezi Park resistance and the spread of Gezi are still current. Because such actions in activities in public life are exemplary and help people overcome the wall of fear. People from diverse backgrounds started occupying the square as a reaction to the heavy use of tear gases and police repression. The repression and approaches of Erdogan and his party, especially his early speeches on the protests, fueled the people with rage, becoming a national-wide protest. 
politics in Turkey actually got its message from the Gezi residents in every sense. As you can see, uh, there was such an organization situation. In other words, those people did not gather at the call of the district organization or headquarters of a political party. The mainstream media did not even show footage from the protests in the first 10 days. The silence of press became a matter of joke between people. Even international TV channels like CNN showed animal documentaries instead of showing the massive protests lasted almost one month, taking 11 people's lives and causing thousands of injuries. Turkey once again experienced a coup attempt in its political history on July 15, 2016, when a section of the Turkish military launched a coordinated operation in several major cities to overthrow the government. Soldiers and tanks took to the streets and the number of explosives rang out in Ankara and Istanbul. Turkish fighter jets dropped bombs on their own parliament. As news of the coup attempt spread through social media, thousands of ordinary citizens gathered in streets and the squares around Turkey to oppose the coup d'etat. The crowds resisted tank fire and the air bombardments with the help of some soldiers and police forces. They defeated the coup attempt in a matter of hours. The government declared victory very soon. As a result of coup attempt, 241 people were killed and around 3,000 people were injured. As I always say that the Gulen movement made use of this political situation so well. The Gulen movement grew so much that they raised cadres from many institutions within the state, like the military, bureaucracy, law enforcement agency, health sector, so on and so forth. One day, the Gulen movement was so massive that all chief of police from 81 cities in Turkey were followers of the movement. All judges who would make critical decisions became members of the Gulen movement. Today, Gulenists are blamed for establishing a parallel state. We might say with irony that actually they were so powerful that they were the real state. The people around Erdogan and the chief of staff were Gulenists. Then there was a fight for the throne. Gulenists and Erdogan broke up. And step by step, we experienced the coup attempt in 2016 plotted by the Gulen movement. The AKP Gulen alliance turned against each other. It was a pure conflict of interests. Many Gulen movement affiliated people in the bureaucracy were removed without any delay. Thousands of military officials, police officers, civil servants, and academics were kicked from their jobs for their links to the Gulen movement. Gulen movement denies any role in the coup and has even alleged that Erdogan orchestrated it himself to obtain absolute power.
The other tool to drive the country is the media. The transformation of Turkey's media under the AKP started in 2002. The AKP-affiliated firms gradually seized control of the media. In today's Turkey, there is no such a thing as opponent media, except a few channels. He had a clear decision to take over the press, the media. So what he did was, through the public banks, he gave credit to certain capitalists, and they used that credit to buy some of the newspapers and television stations. So it came to such a panorama, to such a picture that whenever Tayyip Erdogan gave a speech somewhere for about 30 minutes, 40, 50 minutes, at least 10 TV stations would broadcast the speech at the same time. So, in a way, he created a hegemony on the Turkish media. On the other hand, in the mainstream media, AKP labeled secularist, leftist and Kurdish journalist outlet as nation's enemies. Anadolu Agency, a state-run agency, became the official channel of the government, never broadcasting anything about critics or other political parties. Doing independent journalism became almost impossible. Even though digital media is considered a free space to speak out and express ideas, the government also puts many restrictions on it, regulating it very strictly. The communication affairs is directly linked to the president. Through it, they are controlling the whole media. They have thousands of trolls. They have well-organized networks. They are running many serious activities to hide the truth, and freedom of press is gone. Can a nation be free without free media? If there wasn't a few opposing media channels, freedom of information would be gone as well. When we look at reports of Reporter Without Borders, Turkey is 153rd out of 180 countries on Press Freedom Index. We are also behind on the rule of law as well. And these two things go parallel with each other. When there isn't independence and impartial jurisdiction, there isn't principles of the state of law. We cannot protect anything, freedom of information or right of assembly. Since the Syrian war started, Erdogan has always been against Assad, the president of the Syrian Republic. The resistance crushed Erdogan's dream about government change in Syria. Mispolicies dragged Turkey into the Syrian civil war. Erdogan supported jihadist groups against Bashar Assad. However, the civil war didn't turn out as they expect uh, and Assad is still in office. Due to the sectarian and neo-Ottomanist dreams of the Erdogan government, Turkey has faced every, a, a very, very big problem that will also affect its future. The instability in the region and uh, the worsening of the economic situation 
have further increased the problem we are we are experiencing. Now, Turkey hosting over 10 million refugees, mostly from Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. It is the first crossing destination for people fleeing war. Unfortunately, there is a major public reaction against these people. The refugee issue turned into a social crisis, feeding chauvinist sentiments. Recently, people are afraid of some changes in society. Living standards are getting worse, and unemployment is on the rise. The AKP benefits from refugee issue in terms of increasing its votes, making some of them citizens. Additionally, refugees fleeing to war are extremely compatible with Erdogan's ideology to conservatize the country more. Uh, the Erdogan government has never implemented a, a comprehensive refugee policy because it thought that the civil war war would end soon and uh, Assad would be overthrown. Uh, the number of 100,000 became 1 million. The number of 1 million became 5 million. And uh, there is still no comprehensive refugee policy. Therefore, uh, an environment has emerged uh, where anyone can come to Turkey and go to any city they want to want. And there is no harmonization policy. Erdogan turned his back on Europe, seeking alliances in the Islamic world. The economic growth we saw until 2016 stopped. Turkish lira is losing its value day by day. Thousands of well-educated people are fleeing the country. Europe has become a meeting point for secular Turks. In 2023, there will be an election. According to recent surveys, seemingly Erdogan and the AKP will lose this election. So, finally, Turkey is on the age of change after 20 years of authoritarian regime and the political Islam. We see whether Turkey will have sunny days or not. This was the Islamization of Turkey during the AKP era. <laughs>